The Athletic recently had a piece about two-way center fielders, guys who can contribute at above average level, both offensively and defensively, and how that's declining in modern baseball. Are there any prospects who might fit the bill? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen. Every single day, we're proudly part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. So this piece dropped uh, about a week, week and a half ago, and somehow missed it when it first came out. But The Athletic, and specifically Will Salmon and Andy McCullough, looked at uh, the, the demise of the two-way center fielder. Uh, They're at spring training. They talked to a lot of executives and players for this piece. And I think before we can get too deep into some of the specifics that they talked about, we have to define what a two-way center fielder is. So what they used in this is a guy that can produce above average offense and better than replacement level defense. Okay. So the way that they are defining these or or quantifying those concepts is for offense, the player has to produce an OPS of 101 or better because 100 is set to be league average. And then defensively, they have to have a defensive war of at least 0.1 while appearing in at least 100 games in center field. So they've defined above average defense, above average offense, and they have to primarily be a center fielder. And the story goes on to kind of talk about, like the open of the story is Brandon Nimmo gets eight years and $162 million, despite the fact he's about to turn 30, despite the fact he's only ever once played more than 140 games. uh, And that's because it's so incredibly hard to find somebody who can contribute in both manner. And, and so when you look at 2022, there were a grand total of five players who hit both criteria, both an OPS over 100 and a defensive war higher than 0.0. Those five guys are Mike Trout of the Angels, 178 OPS plus, defensive war of 0.3, Julio Rodriguez, AL Rookie of the Year, 147 OPS plus, 0.7 defensive war. Uh, Michael Harris II of the Atlanta Braves, the NL Rookie of the Year, 135 OPS plus, 1.3 defensive war. And for me, the big thing there was he did it in less time than the rest of these guys did because he came up later in the season. Brandon Nimmo, 130 OPS plus, 0.2 defensive war. And Cedric Mullins, of the Orioles, 104 OPS plus and an even one defensive war. And they explain when we talk about like this is kind of going away, they explain that over the last five years, so you had five last year, but over the last five years, you've averaged 3.4 of these guys per year. And the low point was 2019, where the only person that qualified under these criteria was Ronald Acuna Jr., 
And the flip side of this is this used to be a lot more common from 2002 to 2016. So that 15 year period, you had an average of seven and a half guys qualify under those criteria, right? Uh, OPS plus of at least 101 and defensive war of at least 0.1. You never had less than six in any of those seasons. And the high point for this is 2004. You had 10 different center fielders all qualify to be two-way players. So Jim Edmonds, 171 OPS plus, 0.4 D-War. Carlos Beltran, 133 OPS plus, 1 defensive war. Aaron Rowand, who I admittedly forgot about, 130 OPS plus, 1.2 war. Uh, Mark Kotze, 116 OPS plus, 1.2 D-War. Andrew Jones, 112 OPS, OPS plus, 1.1 D-War. Steve Finley, 109 OPS plus, 0.8 D-War. Juan Pierre, 107 OPS plus, 0.3 D-War. Torrey Hunter, who had the best defense on this entire list, 105 OPS plus, 2.1 D-War. Best defensive player in baseball that year, according to the metrics. Vernon Wells. 105 OPS plus, 1.7 D-War, and Randy Wynn, who I also forgot about, 103 OPS plus, and 1.1 D-War. And there's a couple reasons I think that you've seen this drop off in the last couple of years, and they, they discuss this in the piece. I'll link it in the show notes if you want to go out and read it. It's a pretty good read. A lot of quotes from players and managers, and Carlos Beltran's quoted in there, a lot of different stuff. But the, the three things that kind of came up is one, positional versatility. MLB now is, they're a lot bigger on guys playing multiple positions. They want you to not only, like say for an outfielder, they want you to not only play center, they want you to have spent some time in both left and right as well. And so Beltron's actually quoted in the piece as saying, he thinks it's hard to get the amazing instincts you need to be a plus defender in center field when you get less reps in center field because you're also playing some in right and you're playing some in left. And it's it's something where I think the old quote is ten, it takes 10,000 hours to master something. The concept that Beltron's getting to in this is that by playing guys, say he plays center five days a week and left a day and right a day, that cuts out by two-sevenths the amount of time he gets in center field which makes it harder for a guy to to hit that level of mastery where the instincts are there and he can just on autopilot run down anything. So, number one. Number two, and this is, I think, Alex Anthopoulos of the Braves is the one who kind of discusses this, is the defense is so important in center field. He actually talks about there's a couple positions where you don't necessarily have to worry about the quality of the defense, like second base or left field or something, but center field is you have to have the defense there. Like, you don't care if you get great offense from center field. You have to have good defense. And so there's a situation, and this kind of ties into the third point that I really like. There's a situation where you you distribute playing time differently because you are willing to trade uh, I, like a significant amount of potential offense in center 
for marginally better defense. Uh, there's a good quote in here, Brandon Nimmo. Uh, and this ties into the third thought that I had about workload management. I mentioned Ronald Acuna was, was the only player, I think, in 2019. Uh, he now plays in right for the Braves. And the Braves needed center fielders. Uh, they needed somebody to play in center uh, like last year and even early this year. And instead of using him in center, they put slugger Adam Duvall there. And Duvall, his numbers weren't as good offensively once he moved over to left field. When Michael Harris came up, his offensive numbers got better before a wrist injury ended his season. And it's because of the extra effort it takes to play center field. There's a good anecdote in here from, about Brandon Nimmo. The analytics team from the Mets gave him information about the amount of times that he hit 70% effort and the amount of times he hit 90% effort in the outfield. And by playing center field, the most arguably the most demanding defensive position on the diamond with the most running involved, he hit 90% effort expended one and a half times as often as the left and right fielders and about twice as often as the infielders because the, like, just the wear and tear, there's so much running. If there's a ball hit to left, you're the primary backup to that guy. If there's a ball hit to right, you're the primary backup. If there's a play up the middle, if there's a, a, a ground ball hit up the middle, you're the one coming in to try to cover it if it gets through the shortstop and second baseman. Uh, if there's a throw, say there's a, uh, somebody stealing a bag, you're the backup to second base. So much stuff centers around uh, uh, the center fielder and the center fielder having to move and to run. And so like, look at guys who get hurt in center field, a Byron Buxton, uh, Luis Robert, George Springer, all of these guys. And the, the, the piece makes the argument that some of these guys miss this time because of the extra work. And so there's some teams that just take their guys who could be plus center fielders but their offense is more valuable and they have a defensive option to replace them, so they just move them somewhere else. Uh, Ronald Acuna, again, with the Adam Duvall reference. Mookie Betts, is like it, it's kind of seen as he could be a plus defender in center field, but he plays right field, less physically demanding, gives him more there uh, for his offense. In just a minute, I want to get to looking at the top outfield prospects in minor league baseball. And us kind of having a conversation and deciding, do we think this guy can be on this list as a two-way center fielder going forward based on what we know about them now? But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Uh, I am driving to spring training this week. We are very excited to go down to Florida to catch a bunch of minor league games. We'll be on the west coast of Florida, going to check out the Pirates, uh, the Yankees, you know, quite a few matchups. While we're down there, like on the way down there, uh, we have loaded up on built bars. If you're anything like us, when you go on a road trip, you are gassing up your car and then you're just grabbing a ton of junk food from the gas station. You're eating candy, you're eating chips, you're eating candy bars, all of this stuff because one, you just love the flavor of candy bars, but also two, you're going to be hungry. And you, you constantly eat that food because the junk food you're eating does not make you feel full. And so if you're doing this, you've got to try Built Bars. The great thing about Built Bars, okay, the flavors are fantastic. Churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, cookies and cream, 
brownie batter, any sort of flavor you're looking for from your candy, you can probably find something with the Built Bar. It'll hit the same note. All Built Bars are 100% real chocolate, so it's still going to help you hit the same notes, but they're also good for you. Most Built Bars, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, a whopping 17 grams of protein. So uh, the protein helps you feel full. The, the great flavors and the chocolate replace the feeling and the need for candy bars, and you end up not eating as much on your road trip. Go to Built.com, stack up your pantry, your car with everything you might need. If you run out on the trip, it's fine. You can go to your, the closest Walmart, go to the pharmacy section, grab a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puff. Or if you find a Sam's, you can get brownie batter or churro. Okay, so if we're looking for two-way center fielders, I figured the best place to start is the most promising prospects, right? So I went to MLB Pipeline, and I pulled their list of the top 10 center fielders. I grabbed their grades for the hit tool, for the power tool, and for the defense, and then turned around and got the same grades and saw looked for the rankings for those players from Baseball America. So the number one on both sites, the number one outfielder, consensus number one in the minors right now is Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks. Uh, his defense, depending on who you ask, Pipeline has him as a 70 grade, and I'll remind you 50 is average, 60 is plus, 70 is elite, and 80 is like the greatest of, like, like generationally great. Uh, there is one 80 grade on this entire list, and spoiler alert, it's Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, so they have, Pipeline has him as a 70 for defense. Baseball America has him as a 60 for defense. And then offensively, Pipeline says 65-55, so above average hit tool, I'm sorry, uh, uh, above average power tool, and between plus and elite on the contact tool. And if you look at the sample he got last year, 32 games in the majors, 260-330-500. Four home runs, 15 extra base hits, two two of those were triples. Some of that comes back to the speed, right? He has, he's one of the fastest players in the minor leagues. But it feels like Corbin Carroll is a pretty safe bet to be considered uh, a two-way center fielder going forward. So we're going to go ahead and check that one off and move on. Number two on MLB Pipeline's list, and it's different for Baseball America. We'll get to that in a second. Number two on Pipeline's list for 2023 is Jordan Walker of the Cardinals. Started off at third base. They moved him to the outfield when Nolan Arenado opted into the rest of his contract. And so... They have his defense as a 50 grade. Baseball America also has his defense as a 50 grade. Pipeline has the hit tool at 55, the power tool at 65, while Baseball America has the hit tool at a 50 and the power at a 70. Now, defensively, I think he's going to be perfectly fine in right field. From what I've seen, he's a pretty good defender. He actually got a little bit of time in center in the Arizona Fall League and looked fine. But I think the note about how much running you have to do as a center fielder is very relevant when it comes to Jordan Walker. He's he's 6'5". I've seen 240 pounds. I've seen 245 pounds. It very much feels to me like if you are asking him to play center field on an everyday basis, that running is going to negatively impact his game. So I think he's going to end up being a right fielder in the bigs who can slide over in a, not an emergency, but in a, when he's needed, he can slide over to center 
but Jordan Walker is very much going to be a right fielder. So we're going to give him an X, knock him out of the two-way center fielder conversation. The number three for MLB Pipeline, the number two for Baseball America, is Jackson Churio of the Brewers. Made a ridiculous ascent last year. Low A, high A, finished in double A. Is considered one of the top prospects in all of baseball. So the, 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 the level where he got the most time was low A, Carolina. 62 games. He batted 324, 373, 612 home runs. 40 extra base hits in 62 games, 19 walks to 76 strikeouts, 10 to 12 on stolen bases. Uh, both of these have his hit tool at least above average. Pipeline has him at a 55. Baseball America has him at a 60. And the power tool is where there's the difference in conversation. 60 for his power, 70 on Baseball America, 60 on Pipeline. But either way, the consensus is he's going to be a a... a Above average hitter. So that is, they're pretty confident of that. Defensively, little bit less or little bit less of consistency here. Baseball America has him as a 55. Uh, Pipeline has him as a 60. He did have some arm issues in the past. So he wasn't doing a lot of throwing in the outfield as far as, you know, actually trying to get a guy at home, things like that. He was hitting the cutoff man and the arm looked a little bit below average. The speed's really good. He's moved kind of from shortstop uh, to, to center, and he is now solidified in the outfield. It feels like he's going to end up being at least above average in center. I, I'm not convinced he'll be a plus defender, but I think at the very least, he'll be an above average defender in center field. And I admittedly do not know where Jackson Churio's true offensive ceiling is, but I feel pretty good that it's at least going to be better than uh, than average. So I think we can say yes, Jackson Churio profiles to be a two-way center fielder at the major league level. I'm assuming in 2024. I mean, he was 18 years old last year all the way through. We uh, got like a brief week in AA Biloxi. So I imagine he'll go AA Biloxi to AAA and looking at getting him called up next year. You got to figure out all the outfitters in front of him though. I'll remind you, you have a South Frelick and a Joey Weimer and Garrett Mitchell and all those guys, as well as uh, Christian Yelich is already there in Milwaukee. So some stuff to figure out, but they'll find room for him when he's ready. They may slow play it because they have so many guys. The next one was number four for Pipeline, number five for Baseball America, and it's tough because all you have is draft stuff. Drew Jones of the Diamondbacks, number two overall pick, the son of member of this list from 2004, Andrew Jones who is one of the poster childs for how your body can kind of break down by playing so much defense and having that giant workload. His career didn't last as long as you thought it would because he ran so much in center field. But the consensus here is 70-grade defense. The defense is absolutely going to be there. The question is, where does the, where does the offense end up? And it's funny. Pipeline has him as a better power hitter than a contact hitter. 55 hit tool, 60 power tool. Baseball America is flopped the other way around. 60 hit tool, 55 power tool. I think we're not really going to know anything until we see him actually play games in professional baseball. So it feels like the defense is there. Uh, but it's I think it's too early to tell, does he have the potential to be a two-way center fielder at the major league level? 
because we've just never seen him play in professional baseball. And it's hard for me to say, yes, this guy can be a two-way center fielder in the bigs before he's seen a single pitch in competitive action in Major League Baseball. So we're going to give this one an incomplete, and we'll come back to this one probably midpoint or end of the season and kind of check in on how Drew Jones is doing. Uh, the last guy for the first half of the segment here, uh, he is the number five on Baseball America, number four on Pipeline, where Jones was number five. But that's James Wood of the Washington Nationals. Big boy, 6'7", 240, first round pick by the Padres, or second round pick by the Padres in 2021, part of the Juan Soto deal. Look the part. 50 games in Lake Elsinore before the trade, low A for the Padres last year. 337, 453, 601. 10 home runs, 30 extra base hits in 50 games, 37 walks to 42 strikeouts. I think he is a candidate to also eventually get moved to a corner. It's something where the size, 6'7", 240, there's a precedent for taking those big guys. Judge is a guy who has had to, who has, he plays some center, but he also plays some right. You've seen, we mentioned earlier, George Springer started to have, have some, some, some issues given all of the workload on him and ended up moving from center field to right field. James Wood, to me, even if he finishes, I mean, he has got at least plus power, if not better, and they both have him as an above average hit tool. I just think he's destined to end up being a corner, uh, it, a corner outfielder, probably right. He has an above average arm. Think the defense can be above average, so he'll stick in center field for a little while, but they'll eventually kick him out uh, to a corner. And when they do, he comes off our list because he won't be a two-way center fielder. He'll just be an offensive right fielder in the mold of an of a Ronald Acuna, of an Aaron Judge, things like that. Guys who could play center, but are better in right. In just a minute, I want to get to the the six through ten, including the best defense on this entire list, and Pete Crow Armstrong. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, so now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers get a no-sweat first back up to $1,000 in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app, safe, secure, super easy to use. You can bet on everything from money line, point scores, threes drained, things like that. The conference tournaments are going on right now, so if you go ahead and download the app now, You can practice on NBA, you can practice on college conference tournaments before March Madness starts, which I think that's next week. As a baseball guy, I don't really know this, but I'm sure it's sometime. It's it's pretty soon. We're in March. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, going through the back half of this list, number six through 10, and remember, we're using MLB Pipeline's sorting of the six through 10, which is relevant here because they have Zach Veen of the Rockies at number six. MLB Pipeline does. Baseball America has him at 12. Very surprising that kind of big spread they're speaking of. If you think it'd be really interesting for us to go through the top 100 lists from both of these sites, and find the guys with the most consensus and find the guys with the most variance. Let me know. You can uh, tweet me. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's at Locked on Farm. You can drop it in the comments if you're on YouTube. Drop it in our Discord if you're listening there. Probably an interesting show. I'd have to go and make like a little quick spreadsheet with 100 players, 100 plus players and the rankings and everything. But would be interesting to kind of see who is and is not 
um, agreed on by the prospect apparatus. But anyway, so Zach Veen, it's funny, the consensus, like the, the grades on both on him from both outlets are remarkably similar. They both have his, his contact tool as a 60, as plus, his power as 50, his defense is either 55, according to the MLB pipeline, or 50 from Baseball America. And it's something where when you look statistically last year, he was in high Spokane at 20 years old, 269, 368, 439, 11 home runs, 33 total extra base hits, 50 of 54 on stolen bases. It feels like a lot of his offensive value comes from base running more so than the actual offense itself. He, when he went up to AA Hartford with the Yard Goats, a little over a month there, kind of struggled, kind of scuffled a little bit. Power didn't really show up. Went to the Fall League, stole a ton of bases. I feel like he's going to be somebody who's going to have above average offense as far as batting average and some of that. He's going to be an on-base threat, probably one of the higher on-base percentages. And he's going to be a stolen base threat. I don't necessarily know if he'll end up grading out significantly better than plus. And I honestly kind of feel like defensively, he's going to be better in a corner. It's when you watch him, it feels like, like he can, he can handle center field. I think he'd be perfectly average. I don't think he's going to be contributing. If he does, if, if he gets defensive wins above replacement, uh, that's positive in center field. I feel like it'll be something like some of the guys at the bottom of the list, like a Juan Pierre who was 0.3. You know, like he'll he'll be over it, but barely. Maybe something like a like Brandon Nimmo last year, zero point two. He was above average, but almost kind of barely. He's really there for the offense. So I'm going to go ahead and say that Zach Veen is probably not going to be a two way center fielder. I think he'll end up being in a corner. I kind of like him in left. The defensive profile doesn't have a massive arm, but can cover a lot of ground. Can help you in that giant outfield you have in Colorado. So let's do that. Number seven on. MLB Pipeline's list, number six on Baseball America's list, and number one in the hearts of our Cubs hosts is Pete Crow Armstrong. Zero question that his defense will be plus. He is projected as 80-grade defense, generationally great defensively, is the consensus between MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, and just about everybody else I've talked to. They are convinced that that is that. The question you have is, comes back to the offense. And there's more variance from Baseball America than from MLB Pipeline. Pipeline has him as a 55 hit tool, so above average, and a 50 power tool, so right on average. Whereas Baseball America sees it's a plus bat, but the power is below average. I think a lot of this is going to depend on the physical development. He's just now 20 years old. He's continuing to get stronger. But I think defensively, again, there is no question he will be a plus defender. The question is, what is the ceiling on the bat? I think as of now, the bat is going to be uh, at least 0. Like, sorry, at least 101 OPS. So I'm going to say yes on Pete Crow Armstrong. I'm confident in what I've seen. I have a couple scouting trips planned this spring to go see him. If he goes, uh, starts off at AA Tennessee, which I imagine he will because he didn't get there last year. He starts off at AA Tennessee. I'll have a couple chances to see him before he moves up to AAA. But there's a very real chance you may see him by the end of the year, depending on what happens with Cody Bellinger. You may see him for a brief cup of coffee at the end of 2023 and then contend for the starting job in 2024. Number eight on the list, Sal Frelick 
of the Brewers. A little bit of disagreement as far as what his defense is going to be. Both Pipeline and Baseball America say 70 great hit tool. Fantastic offense. Look at what he did in 46 games in AAA Nashville last year. 365, 435, 508. Double A Biloxi, 317, 380, 464. Like he got better when he moved up in difficulty level. Uh, the thing here is one, there's a ceiling on the power, right? MLB Pipeline says 45. Baseball America says 40. Having watched him play, I'm more into the 40 camp than the 45 camp. It's just something where I don't quite see the defense, or sorry, the power being good enough to get him uh, significantly above. 101 OPS. Just the, the the contact alone, he may be able to do it, but I'm not super hopeful. Defense, there is a little bit of question as well about where he's going to end up. Baseball America has him as a 50. Uh, it's something where he has he has uh, good range and good instincts. He just hasn't played the position a lot. Um, he hasn't been a full time outfielder for an incredibly long amount of time, and so that's a scenario where. Kind of goes back to what Beltron was saying about guys who play multiple positions. It's something where he can play up the middle, and they acknowledge he may get to plus. I think this is going to be kind of a question mark, and we'll have to come back to see what South Relic does. Does the lack of power and the inexperience in center field mean he's not a two-way center fielder? We don't legitimately know yet. I get a feeling he's probably going to be, but we just don't know for a fact yet. Number nine on MLB Pipeline's list 13 on Baseball Americas is Robert Hassel. 2020 first rounder was also part of the Juan Soto trade, so he's now a Washington National. And another guy where you're looking at a ceiling on the power. Uh, I've seen the best I've seen is 50 for the power. I've seen some 45s for the power, but he's considered to have a plus hit tool. And then defensively, considered to be a little bit better than South Relic. Both of them have him as at least above average. Uh, he spent the majority of his minor league career in center field. So I think he's a little farther along defensively than South Relic is. But the bat, the contact ability isn't quite as good, probably plus comp- compared to Frelick's 70 grade. So we'll see what happens there. I think as of now, he's going to be able to, the speed being above average, I think he's going to end up being a two-way center fielder. It does depend on what the power continues to do. So more questions here as you get to the bottom of the list, but it makes sense that he's a candidate. He's a candidate to be a two-way center fielder. The last guy on this list, he's number 10 on MLB Pipeline. He's number nine on Baseball America, is Colton Kowser of the Orioles. Big fan of Colton Kowser. I think uh, the, the best way to kind of show what his performance did is Double A Bowie last year. Spent 49 games there. 341, 469, 568. There's that 300, 400, 500 slash line we always talk about that makes that gives you a dude. So the consensus here is above average to plus as far as contact and power. The question for Colton Kowser is going to be de- defense. Uh, both of them feel like he may not be more than an average center fielder. They both have him listed as a 50 right now. I think the big question is going to be Does anything happen to his speed? Because he's in a weird crossroads. I think he could uh, start to hit for more power or he could lean into the put the ball in the gap, uh, take multiple bases on base kind of threat. He could do either one, but if he leans in towards I got to hit for power, you could see some some strength gains 
And with those strength gains, it's possible he slows down a bit and that would back his defense up. So I think the questions will be offense. Like if he goes for that power approach, he's probably going to slow down a little bit. And that means his defense will probably drop where he needs to go to a corner and he'll be an above average defender there, above average arm. It's just he'll, be ba- he'll back up a little bit from where he is now as far as, as looking like he can be above average defensively in center uh, with an above average offensive tools, again, depending on what he chooses to do. Fantastic week this week. Uh, we've got, mo- we got more coming for you next week. Great week lined up. If you have questions for Monday's mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com or drop your questions in the Locked on MLB Prospects Discord. Link is in the episode description and the link is in the show notes. Until Monday's show, enjoy the weekend of spring training games. This has been Locked on MLB Prospects.